the Lamb of God who took our place. Did, does that ever get old? Jesus, the perfect one, who, who chose to leave his father, live a perfect life, voluntarily shed his blood for me and for you. Wow. And I'm, I'm singing that song and I'm, and I'm picturing <laughs> he didn't deserve it. I did. I deserved it. We're here to celebrate that Savior. Jesus, who, who died for us and loved us, desires deeply a relationship with us. That should blow us away every single day. I, I'm so glad you're here. We're in a series called David, the Life of a King. God chose David to be Israel's next king because of his heart. Because of the way David thought, and because David was intimate with God. You know, Israel's first king didn't do well. He thought, it was, he, thought he was better and smarter than God. There was a lack of repentance and literally a justification of disobedience. So God chose David. And David knew God. He trusted God. He experienced God. Remember, even just a few weeks back, that David was chosen while he was a shepherd, while he was a kid. He was the youngest of his family. But he wasn't even there when Jesse had this little bit of a celebration and Samuel came to his house. They had to call him. But David's relationship with God affected his perspective of life. How David saw and thought. It was pretty amazing. For example, it wasn't a big deal to fight a giant because David focused on the size of his God rather than the size of his enemy. That alone makes him stick out. A whole army of technically God-fearers. And David sees the giant totally different than everybody else. Last week, Blake helped us See, David's faith in God. If you're with us, Blake mentioned chapter 24. But he also went to and focused on chapter 26. And both chapters helped us understand David's confidence in God's timing and in God's plan. Blake purposely skipped chapter 25 where we find the story of two fools and a wise woman. 
That's where we're going to be today. So you can open up your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 25. But let me pray first. Father, we would ask today that you would open our eyes. We would ask you, God, that your spirit would be so abundantly active that your spirit would teach us, your spirit would convict us, your spirit would inspire us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would receive honor and glory and there would be no one that would leave here the same person. We know that the prophet Isaiah told us that you bless those who tremble at your word. Father, we want to grow and tremble. We want to grow in awe of your word. The word that you gave us, the word that you sent us, the word that transforms us. God, we ask that you would do that this morning. Father, we pray for our world. We pray for the pain and the agony, the natural disasters, the rulers who are unscrupulous. God, we ask that your kingdom would come. We we also pray, Father, for other churches, especially churches right in our area, churches that are converged churches, that are that have brothers and sisters in them, that are hearing your word, that are being sent out. We pray for connection. We pray for fierce and we pray for new hope. We ask you, God, that those flocks would represent you well this week. We pray for us, Lord. We pray for Cross Point Church. There are so many things that are going on right now There's a whole boatload of kids downstairs learning about you. We pray for those teachers, and we pray for those kids that they might hear and respond to your precious word. Lord, there's all kinds of ministries that are going on each week and every week. We think of next week especially, God. We dedicate next week already to you. We have been praying and we have been planning. We pray for taste of Crosspoint. We pray, dear Lord, that you would bring folks that normally don't attend, don't come to this fellowship. We pray you would give them courage. We pray that they would hear good news. They pray, we pray, Father, that, that our people would warmly welcome them, embrace them. I pray that we would be courageous enough to invite. I thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to share good news and bless other people. We know, Father, too, is that we rejoice in the fact that the lift is sitting in our lobby. But we also know, Lord, that there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that that need to happen. And we would pray, God, that you would walk before us and that we would be able to move ahead in this major project with the lift in the bathrooms. We thank you for all that you've done already and know that that will be a huge blessing to the folks that come to this place. 
We now are going to open up your word, God. We, we are grateful again. Um, so help us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Normally, we preach through the scriptures. If you've been part of our fellowship, we usually go book by book or verse by verse or chapter by chapter. But today's going to be the exception. Blake left off in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. We are going to go one chapter back. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I think we are going to learn so much from this chapter. I, I, I know I have. And I know I am. And I'm very excited to be able to share with you some of the truths in that chapter. Now, even though we're going to learn a lot, I believe, I think for David, the chapter is a step backwards. So let me try to get you right into the context here. In chapter 24... And, and again, you heard a little bit of the story last week. But in chapter 24, we find that Saul is chasing after David, wanting to kill David. He has already tried to kill David quite a few times. But Saul, like any king, sometimes has to relieve himself. And he goes into a cave to do that. And it's in the very cave that David and all his men are hiding in. But David graces Saul. All he does is cut a little bit of a corner off his robe, and eventually they have a conversation, and eventually Saul is convicted, and eventually David's men leave and go back into the wilderness. And so David and 600 of his rebels, of his followers, are out in the wilderness. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all of Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. And now again, I think many of you understand that this was Israel's spiritual leader. One verse. He died, and everybody came to his funeral. And then the story continues. It seems a little odd. It seems that more should have been written. I'm sure more that happened. But that's all we have. And the story moves on. It was sheep shearing season. <laughs> I can tell right now you guys are excited. Sheep shearing season. You go like, Rick, this is like the best time of the year. We get to shear sheep. I practice that quite a bit. Because I was just afraid something else was going to come out. All right? But here it is. It's sheep shearing season. And you are all looking at me exactly the way I kind of read that. But actually, back then, this was a normal time, a festive time, a time of great generosity. There would be a lot of food in a lot of places, and neighbors and communities would gather, and this would be a high time of the year. We're introduced to the two main characters here, 
Nabal, and Abigail. Let's read verse 2 and 3. There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensitive and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. Nabal was crude and mean, while Abigail was sensible and beautiful. And when you first read this, it seems a little bit like the odd couple. But you also have to remember, back in this culture, marriages were arranged. So you really were stuck with however or whatever you received. Now, even so, you may know of some couples today that fit that bill. That means one spouse is rather crude and lewd and crass. And the other spouse is gracious and wonderful. Now, now again, we're not trying to have you look around the congregation at this moment or try to think through some things or give your spouse a little bit of elbow and say, you know which one I am. <laughs> no, that's not the purpose of the story here. But What you also know, if you know of a couple like that, that marriage can really be challenging. So I think these verses start off the story so we can understand the rest of this chapter. Now, as you continue to read, and and I'm not going to read every verse here. We're going to jump ahead in a moment. But we learn that David's 600 men are quite hungry. And there had been a little bit of a relationship here. So David sends a little entourage to Nabal and says, Hey, Nabal, this is a festive time. You've got lots of food. How about would you share some with my men? Now, Nabal's response is crude, demeaning, and foolish. Look at verse 10. Who is this fellow David, Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shearers and give it to the band of outlaws who come from, well, who knows where? (laughs) Nabal knew who this was. Nabal knew David's reputation. Nabal, for some reason, was being a fool. Well, David's men hear his response, and David's men go back to David and basically tell David the story. Look at verse 10. Excuse me, verse 12. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. 
David's response was visceral. Did, did I mention two fools? Nabal was a fool. He had no idea how much David was responsible for his large herd. He protected them. He watched over them and never took advantage of any of his shepherds or of the livestock. Nabal was a fool because he had no right to poke a bear. He knew who David was. He knew his reputation. And the only time you poke a bear is if you are a fool. Now, most of our series is focused on David. And we want to be able to present David the way the scriptures present David. And in this story, actually, David was a fool. He he was insulted and demeaned. His ego was hurt. And his response was, strap the swords on, boys. We're going to go take care of this. They are dead. Their goose is cooked. They don't talk to me like that. Let's go, boys. Now, does that sound like a mature, God-fearing man at this moment? you, You look at this. Now, just in chapter 24, to put this in context, might have even been days or weeks before this, he graced Saul for much worse offenses. After all, Saul had thrown spears at him. Saul wanted him dead. Saul was chasing him, all of Israel's army. But what does David do? He goes in. He does not kill Saul. He simply takes part of his cloth. He had the opportunity to do that. But that's the difference when David walks with God and when he doesn't. We're going to find out that David was an amazing man when he walked with God, when he listened to God, when he went to God for guidance and strength. Oh, David was invincible. The way he saw the world, the way he interacted with people, this was not one of those days. To David, Nabal's offense was unforgivable. He felt he could take justice in his own hands. Really? Really? Uh, He would trust God at other times, but now all of a sudden, oh, I'm the guy. I don't need God. I can take care of my battles. This guy really demeaned me. I'm going to go chop his head off. I think we feel that way sometimes. Only we don't use swords, and I get that. But you know, it's kind of funny. We find David muttering. In chapter 25, starting in verse 21, he is muttering. And I'm just letting you know, when you start to mutter, it is a bad sign. All right? And this is what he said. David has just been saying, A lot of good it did to help that fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me, even if one man in his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Whoa. 
Meanwhile, and this is where the story gets good, Abigail gets the news. And did I already say, wise woman? Read with me if you would. We're going to start at verse 18. Abigail got the news. Abigail knew what was going on. Abigail understood that David's army was on his way to absolutely destroy all of the men and her husband. So in verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on a donkey or on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. As I said, there was a lot of food out there. This was a festive occasion. She just went right out to uh, the banquet tables and said, okay, servants, follow me. We've got some work to do. And she piled all this food. It was quite a bit. But she didn't tell her husband. You can understand the situation. So she sent out these donkeys filled with this food. She got her on her own donkey in verse 20. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. Down to verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet. We're going to be looking at some of the ways that Abigail dealt with David. But this was a woman of means. This was a woman who had um, high esteem. And she got off immediately and fell down at David's feet. And she said this, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered man, but please don't pay any attention to him. He's just a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young man that you sent. It seems clear that Abigail ran that household. It seems clear that Abigail put out the party. But for some reason, David's men didn't go to Abigail, went to Nabal. Now, my Lord, verse 26, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who harm you be cursed as Nabal is. Now picture yourself. This lady is down. This lady is talking. And David the warrior has 400 guys with him. And all of a sudden he's going, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. I'm on my way to butcher Nabal. What are, you, what, what are you talking about here? Like, what do you mean as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live since the Lord has kept you? He hasn't kept me. I'm not, like, what are you talking about, Abigail? And then she said this. 
Verse 27, and here's the present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Oh, does she know how to deal with hungry guys, doesn't she? This food is here. That was the original request. These guys are angry. They're upset. They don't have anything to eat. He says, and by the way, here's the present. Here's the food for you. Verse 28, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. We, we look at that and say, hey, wait a minute. This was an offense against her. But you're going to see, even as we kind of go over some of these lessons, that she was married to Nabal. And she saw this partnership as a partnership for good or for bad. And she said, hey, I, I, I want you to forgive me, David. And, and then she says, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. She is not saying that he's perfect. What she is saying is, all this time, all you've done is fight the Lord's battles. This is not one of the Lord's battles, just so you know. Keep fighting the Lord's battles. And then she says, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Come on. Does she know who David is? Of course. She's using this illustration. She's understanding. She's saying, hey, David, I know you're pretty good with that sling. I do. But I want you to know, I know all of your enemies will disappear, just like when you let a stone fly. Verse 30. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord had done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Oh, my friends. There are so many lessons here from a godly woman or a godly friend. Let's broaden it just a little bit. Somebody who walks with God. How do you deal with someone in sin? How do you deal with someone that's making a bad choice? Well, first of all, she acted quickly to avert disaster. She knew that there were going to be problems. She went to a hard place. She spoke right to David. And she needed to work quickly. Secondly, she used her resources really well. She had them available. She knew some of the problem was the hunger. And she was able to bring them and feed them. But she also humbled herself. Remember, David's ego was hurt. And she fell on the ground and even called herself a servant. 
She intercedes for Nabal in spite of an arrogant husband. They were partners. And she owned her part and asked David for forgiveness. And what's even more beautiful is that she gives God credit for restraining David. She was only the tool. And then what was so cool, all the way through this, Abigail speaks truth, uses scripture. She understands who this God is and is reminding David, who is not walking with God, biblical truth, such as the Lord will reward you for obeying. David understood this all the way through the Old Testament up to this point, especially in Joshua and Judges. At the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses was preaching, over and over and over, God would say, if you obey me, I will take care of you. If you obey me, you will be able to enjoy the land filled with milk and honey. If you obey me, you'll be unconquerable. All she was doing is speaking truth. Secondly, she said, the Lord keeps you secure, even when you're being chased. Read through almost all of the Psalms, and you'll see this pattern. Father, you are my stronghold. You are the place that I go to. You are my protection. She was just reminding David of some basic things. Your enemies won't affect you. David understood that. Just a few chapters before, he did the Goliath thing. Enemies won't affect you. And God will keep his promises. At the end of Joshua's life, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua has everybody gathered, and he's about ready to die. And one of the things he reminds all of the children of Israel is I just want you to follow God. I want you to obey God because God never, ever broke his promises to you. And then she talks about keeping his conscience clean. You, you don't want to have a dirty conscience. You don't want to carry this burden. Don't do this act. Don't be rebellious. You're going to carry this with you. Yes, God may forgive you, but it is a burden. Actually, what you could say is that she was in David's face without David knowing it. David was making a foolish choice. David was not walking with God. Abigail knew that she could intercede. Abigail knew that she could speak truth to David. She didn't know how it would go. It had to be a scary experience. And I think God gave her the courage to do this. In Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, make sure you beat them up and hit them over the head with a club. No. If 
you see another believer struggling with sin, overcome with sin, going down the wrong path, making poor choices, you know how disasterly that is. You know how it's going to end. You have a couple choices. You can look the other way and just let him travel. Or you could do what Abigail did, get on your donkey and go over there, fall face down with humility and address the issue. But look what Paul says. Dear brothers and sisters, if you or if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, you who walk with God, should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. That's what community does. That's what family does. Family doesn't look the other way. Family says, hey, if I see somebody that's going the wrong direction, I'm going to go to them humbly and carefully and lovingly. And I'm going to warn them. I'm going to remind them who God is. I'm going to remind them the path is not a good one. Now, what's so cool about this story to me It's found in verses 32 through 35. And that's because we read how David responds. Remember, this is an egotistical maniac at this moment with a sword. He has one thing bent on his mind. I'm going to annihilate all those guys. But he listens to Abigail. Starting at verse 32, David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Now, let me just put this in perspective. Remember, this is what sets David apart, not that he fails, Because he does. And all of us did. And even Saul did. But what sets him apart is how he responds to failure or to sin. It shows that he is a man after God's own heart. You're going to see he's going to set us up. And he's going to repent. And he's going to literally change his behavior. So that when she comes, she confronts him. The first thing out of his mouth at this moment, praise the Lord. Oh, I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you that you sent this person to me. And and then the next thing is actually that's what he says. Thank God for your good sense. Praise you, God, for sending. Thank you, God, for sending Abigail. She had such wisdom. I was being so foolish. I was operating out of the flesh. I can see your wisdom, God. I can hear the promises that she shared with me. And then he says this, bless you, Abigail. First two phrases were just thanking God, couldn't believe, God, this is so good. Thank you, thank you. And bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hand. 
Bless you, Abigail. You probably had to be scared to death. You didn't know how I would respond. Would I take my sword out and chop your head off too? But thank you. Bless you for keeping me from sin. And I just got to stop right now. And I don't know how many friends, I don't know how many are part of groups, and I don't know how many would respond this way if we're walking down a path of destruction, if we're disobeying God, if we're being rebellious against God's plan in our life, and someone humbly comes to you, someone you love, someone you care, maybe even someone you don't even know a lot, but they talk to you. Most of the time, at that stage in our lives, we're pretty arrogant. We're walking without God. We're saying, I don't need this. Stick it in your ear or some other choice words. No. But that wasn't David. David said, bless you, bless you, bless you. He knew sin is horrific. He knew the consequences bring death. This was so interesting. And in one of my groups this week, we were reading through some of James, and we came about James chapter 1, verse 21. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. And we stayed on this verse, going around just thanking God. God, you don't want me to suffer the consequences of sin. I don't have to have sin rule in my body. God, thank you. You actually have the power to save. And, and James is talking about sanctification here, not salvation. As he refines us that we have victory or we can enjoy abundant living. The next thing David did is he accepted her gift. Isn't it true, especially some guys, you can't give them anything. They are so self-sufficient they are so arrogant in some ways. I don't need that. You know, you could have four flat tires on the side. You come by, you're, you know, got a whole truck filled with tires. Hey, do you need help? No. None. Have a good day. Are you serious? David, he accepts this. And here's the killer. It's so beautiful. I have heard what you said, Abigail. I've listened to you. I will stop the chase. I heard you. I have been convicted. Your words have affected me. I will stop chasing your husband. Oh, my word. I don't know if you understand how much value there is having friendships like this. 
We have used and focused over these last month or so about growing in our up relationship with God. So we walk with God. Well, part of the areas we all want to grow in is our in relationship. Those relationships we have with other brothers and sisters. And some of us like our independence. Because we don't want people like Abigail riding their donkey to us and falling on the ground. We actually like going and chopping people's heads off. Because you have to take justice in your own hands. But how amazing it is to have a friend or to have a group that you meet with every week. And when you're going down a wrong path, You not only have one Abigail, but you might have three guys falling on their face saying, please don't do this. Let me share with you God's word. Let me encourage you to make a right choice. Please hear God. And we all have the choice. I'm going to listen. I'm going to repent. And my behavior will change. Or stick in your ear, and I'm going to go chop some heads off. I wonder, and we don't know, what would have happened if David would have done this? What kind of ramifications would have gone on? I don't know. But we talk about crossbind groups all the time. I have asked multitude of you to not only lead or to get part of one, And there's some good reasons, I get it. But this is a huge reason to do life together, to walk through together other godly men and women. Because we need Abigails at our times, or at times. The retreat. I love spending time with the guys this last weekend, we were coming down from our retreat or close to it. Opportunity to spend time with God, an opportunity to spend time with each other. The campfires were huge. Where a couple hours after the day, you'd be able to chat, be able to talk, and be able to ask hard questions. And what about mentoring? Getting involved with others, discipling, meeting together for coffee in a consistent way. I want to encourage you. We need Abigails in our life. And we need other people. Yes, God's word is sufficient, and the Holy Spirit continues to convict us. But we need people. Now, this story actually has a powerful ending, starting in verse 36. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party. You know, all that food that was out, you know, and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober... His wife told him what happened. As a result, he had a stroke. 
And he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. The moral of the story is if you don't listen or if you're mean and crude, that God is going to give you a stroke. Not the meaning here. I actually don't know how God gets your attention. I certainly know how God gets my attention. But what happened here is that they listened to God. David responded. And he was going to take vengeance in his own hands. And God says, I'm going to take care of this, David. I'm going to take care of this. If you read the rest of the chapter, which I'm not going to do, David eventually, after he learns of this, sends for Abigail and takes her as his wife. Whoa, amazing. This is a great story. It just is. So many lessons, so many takeaways. In one, as you even look at David, he has this high in chapter 24. He's walking with God. He graces the king. In the next chapter, he flat out falls on his face. That's how fast our flesh can take over. And that is why we need to grow in our end. You know, what looks let me say it this way. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for us to have godly friends in our life because we all have blind spots. And we just need each other. I would ask each one of you to consider getting in a group. I would. And we'll help you do that. And lastly, which is so cool, when you fail, when I fail, and we will fail, it's called sin. May God give you grace as you open up his word and the spirit convicts you. Or as a friend absolutely rides their donkey, falls on their face, and shares with you your blind spot. That you respond like David. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. And bless you for being courageous to come to me and share with me God's truth. I wonder, and I'm almost done, but I wonder what have happened if a godly friend would have showed up right after David from the top of his palace, saw Bathsheba. He was alone then, and we're going to eventually get to that story. But I wonder, I wonder how different that would have been. Because I know how he responded one time. I did. But for a small moment... He went his own way and destroyed so much of his life.
Now, again, if we put this in perspective, David leaves this story. Remember, 24, he walked with God. 25, he doesn't. 26 is where Blake spent most of the time last week. He's walking with God again. You know, that's life for so many of us, isn't it? May God give you the courage to stay in his word, to listen to his word, and be courageous enough when you see someone with a bunch of swords to humbly fall before. Would you all stand with me at this moment? I'd like to pray for you. And as you stand, if you could close your eyes, And just ask God some hard questions. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You could do that today. Maybe you do know Jesus, but maybe you're running. Maybe today you could respond. Maybe someone, maybe you're not running and maybe God has put someone on your heart, someone you know, someone you love, but they're going down the wrong path. Maybe you can meet with them. Maybe you could gently restore them. Maybe you could encourage them to trust God in a new and a fresh way. Maybe you don't have a group of godly people surrounding you. Maybe you can get part of a group or part of a mentoring time. We'd love to help you in all these areas. And I'm going to pray. Father, I ask right now that you would do something supernatural today in and through and among us. I pray, dear God, that you would give us the heart that trembles at your word that we spend time with you, we know you, we love you, and we desire more than anything to obey you with all of our hearts. But God, as we even learned today, it doesn't take long for our flesh to take over, for us to be distracted, for us to walk down a wrong path. God, we pray your word would change us. We pray that our godly friends would, would be there God, do what you need to do in our congregation, in our flock. Draw us to yourself. Build the relationships that we need. And would we represent you well in all the things that we do. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.